I don't often make these kinds of statements that I'm about to make. I just don't. Uh, but I feel very strongly about this today. Uh, I think that what we're talking about in today's message, the topic that we're covering today, could be very possibly the single most important thing you hear on a Sunday morning all year. Because this topic that we're about to touch on <clears throat> is absolutely critical to everything that we do as a church. Everything hinges on this. And as we come to uh, Philippians chapter 2, which is where we're going to be today, if you remember from last week, we were in Philippians chapter 2 as well. Uh, we were uh, verse 5 and onward uh, last week. This week, we're covering verses 1 through 4 of Philippians chapter 2. But in Philippians chapter 2, the beginning here, Paul, the apostle, is going to talk about unity. Unity is critical for a church. It is absolutely essential for a church. When a church has unity, there is power to overcome every single problem that they could possibly face. Uh, and on the other hand, when a church has disunity, a simple speed bump will stop a church in its tracks. Unity is such a powerful deciding factor uh, in the health and the growth and the power uh, to make a difference in their communities and in the families uh, that a church has. When a church is not united, what happens invariably is that the people in that church spend more time fighting and wrestling with one another than they do fighting the devil. And it's a tragedy. It's a loss for, for the people, it's a loss for the community, and it's a loss for the kingdom. And we can't allow that to happen. Now, before we jump into Philippians chapter 2, what I want to do is kind of give you a 30,000-foot view of the value of unity and why it's important from Scripture. And one of the best places to look at that is Psalm 133, uh, where the psalmist writes about unity. And this is what uh, the psalmist says in Psalm 133, verses 1 through 3. How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. That's how he starts off. And, and what he's going to do is he's going to give us four major benefits of unity. Why unity is important. And notice the first one is how good unity is. It's good. You could translate that word as it's favorable. There is a favor accompanying unity. You could translate it like, like we might say, oh, it's the best. Like, like something when you really, really enjoy it, you say, oh, it's the best. It's the best when people are in unity. And when we talk about unity and we're thinking primarily of the church in the context we're discussing today, let me just say this. The church is the family of God. And what's true of the family of God is also true in your family. Uh, God designed the family as, as a symbol. It, it, it's, it's a parallel of his family. I mean, how good it is when a husband and wife are in unity. You know, how good is it when parents and children are in unity? How good is it when your extended family, when there's unity there? It is the best. There is a favor. So when you and I walk in unity, what happens is it's, it's just really, really good is the idea here of what the psalmist begins by telling us. And then he continues with this. It is like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down on the collar of his robe. <laughs> and you may say, what in the world are they talking about 
here? Uh, and great question. Uh, it's talking about when Aaron, who was the first high priest over all of Israel, when Aaron was commissioned, when he was ordained, when he was anointed by Moses. And what he did is Moses would pour oil, which is a symbol of the Holy Spirit. He poured that oil on Aaron's head and it ran down his head, onto his beard, down onto his robes, and it was symbolic of the Holy Spirit anointing him, anointing all of him, his mind, his heart, his body, setting him aside for a special calling, a special ministry. And there would be a grace, there would be a power that would accompany him. He would pronounce the priestly blessing. And God said, when you do that, I'll put my name on all of Israel. So there was a grace, there was a blessing, there was a power on his life that comes with the anointing. And we see that because of unity. If you and I want to have a church that knows the anointing, and by that we mean the Spirit of God covering our church, empowering our church, going before our church, using our church, multiplying the work of our church, you've got to have unity. The anointing comes when there is unity. Scripture is very clear on that. The good things come. Good happens when there is unity. When there's no unity, it's bad news. When there's not unity, the Spirit of God is absent. He's not going to be able to work in a church that is divided. But a church that is in unity, there is a, a synergy between God's working and us working alongside him. Psalmist continues, it is as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion. Now, what in the world is Hermon? Who's Hermon anyway? Well, Hermon is a mountain in the north of Israel and, and Lebanon, and it's snow-capped much of the year, Hermon is. And then the snow melts off. Well, when the snow melts off, the water has to go somewhere, so it runs down, and it's really, that is the source of where the Jordan River comes from, where the Sea of Galilee, eventually where it deposits, all come off of Mount Hermon. So it's like the dew on Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. And, and the Mount Zion, it's a very arid part of the country, very dry, it's way to the south. And what it's saying is that in a place that would normally be dry, there is a freshness. There's a vitality, there's a refreshment that takes place. And when you have unity in a church, what typically would maybe be a dry church suddenly becomes a vibrant, lush, and alive church, all because of unity. And then he concludes here, for there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. What is the blessing? Well, it's all the good things that God wants to do in somebody's life. It's the peace of the Lord. It's the protection of the Lord. It's, it's the favor of the Lord. It's the smile of God on your home. If you have unity, it's the smile of God on a church. I mean, isn't that exciting to think about God smiling on your church? I want to be a part of a church where God smiles. I want to be a part of a church where God is saying, I'm going to give that church favor I'm going to bless them. I'm going to give that church protection. I'm going to give that church what they need. I'm going to smile on them. I'm going to be gracious to them. That is what unity brings. And then the psalmist concludes, even life forevermore. Even life forevermore. Life is birthed out of unity. Life, the Jewish word is chayim. And the word is like a celebrative dance. It's, it's not just life as a drudgery 
a life as a have to, but it's life as a joy. It's life as a get to. It's life as a celebration. It's a celebrative, joyful, exciting life. When you have unity, that's what you're going to have. That's what you're going to experience. And I say this, one of the things, when I look back over the history of Trilogy, and we haven't been around all that long yet, we're we're over four years old, but when I look at the church, one of the things that has characterized our church is we've been the recipients of really the supernatural unity that God has given. We haven't had blow-ups. We haven't had a ton of drama. We haven't had conflict. And from time to time, there have been some people that have felt led in a different direction, and God has moved them on, but God has kept trilogy all rowing in the same direction. And let me say this, unity is not something that you and I create. Unity is a gift from God. Unity comes from him. But unity is something that we have a responsibility for. When you read in 2 Chronicles chapter 30, you have the story there of, of Hezekiah. The people of Judah had abandoned the Lord and Hezekiah becomes the king And he says, we're going to start serving the Lord again. He like reverses the direction of the people of where the direction that the nation is going. And he says, we're now going to start serving the Lord again. And we've not been observing the Passover, which is uh, commanded by God, one of the great Jewish feasts. And we're going to bring back the Passover, Hezekiah says. So he sends out messengers. And as he sends out messengers, watch what happens. In 2 Chronicles chapter 30, verse 12, At the same time, God's hand was on the people in the land of Judah, giving them all one heart. One heart. That is unity. Now in the NIV, it's translated this way. Also in Judah, the hand of God was on the people to give them unity of mind. That's unity. So when people are walking in unity, they're going to have one heart. They're going to have one mind. And then the message translation says this, it was better in Judah, God worked powerfully among them to make it unanimous. So they're all going to be together on this. When God is working and blessing a place, one of the things he does is he brings everybody together with one heart, with one mind. Everybody pulling on the oars in the same direction and that is a picture of unity for us. Now, God is the one who gives it as a gift. Our job is to make sure we guard that gift, we protect it, that we value it, that we treasure it. So listen to this in Ephesians chapter four and verse three. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit, binding yourself together with peace. Make every effort, make every effort, not to create unity. Notice that he doesn't say that. He says, make every effort to keep yourselves united in whom? In the spirit. So it's not our unity, but we're united in the spirit of God. So we need to protect that. Um, In other words, make it a priority to keep yourselves united in the spirit. Do anything you can do. So whatever you need to do to foster and protect unity in the church, you do it. Whatever that is. Whatever you need to do personally, whatever you can do, you do it to foster and to protect unity in the church. Whoever you have to forgive to have unity in the church, you forgive them. Whoever you don't like, you better start liking so we can have unity in the church. So we have unity. Now, I know you all like each other, but hypothetically, if there was somebody you didn't care for all too much, you need to pray through that. Whatever it takes, as far as it depends on you, Paul says in Romans chapter 12, be at peace with everyone. 
As much as it depends on you, whatever you gotta do to have unity, you want, you need, you have to do it. Because unity, when a church is unified, it's going to advance in God's purposes. And when it's not, it won't. It's that simple. The Bible makes it clear. I mean, this is an absolutely critical thing for you and I to think about, to pray about, and it's what makes Philippians chapter two, verses one through four, so absolutely important for us today as a church. Now, as we look at this passage from Paul's letter to the Philippian church in verse one, what Paul does is he gives us the motivation. He gives us our motive for unity. And then in verses two through four, he gives us the means. He, he tells us how to live out unity uh, and what we should do uh, to make that happen. So what would motivate us towards unity? Well, we could say from Psalm 133 that we just looked at that we're motivated by blessing, we're motivated by life, we're motivated by the anointing, we're motivated by just having things good, the best they can possibly be. But Paul appeals to an even higher motive than what I just described. Paul says this, I'm asking you to commit yourself to unity and here's why. So let's look at it together. Philippians 2, uh, starting in verse 1. Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Any comfort from his love? Any fellowship together in the spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Now, Paul asks a series of questions here. And in, in the original Greek, so alert, there's some high-level seminary geekiness coming right now. All of these questions in Philippians 2 verse 1 begin with a first-class conditional clause. Okay? So a first-class conditional clause, you would read it because the assumption is true in that part of speech. You would read it like this in Greek. Is there any? And there is. Do you have any? And you do. We would say maybe because you have encouragement or because you have comfort from his love. That's how we would phrase it, but that's not how they wrote in the Greek. And it gives us four things that we have from the Lord that in gratitude to God, we should say, you know what? You've done that for me. The least I can do is to do what you prayed would happen. And that's exactly what Jesus prayed for. Remember in John 17, he prayed, Father, let them be one, even as we are one. This is Jesus's final prayer as he's on the way to the cross uh, to, to go through crucifixion. And he stops and he prays for unity amongst his followers. He prays that the church would be united in purpose and in mind that, and in community, that we would be one, that we would experience unity. And I, I truly believe it breaks the heart of God when there is disunity in his church. This is not something that God takes lightly. This is not something that God just glosses over. When there is disunity in the church, it breaks the heart of God. We are the body of Christ is how scripture describes the church the body of Christ. Listen, if there is disunity and division in your human body, guess what? You're sick. And if it gets real bad, what happens? You die. The same is true for a church. If you have division in a church, if you have disunity in the church, that church is sick. And if it goes on long enough, the church is going to die. And the church is the body of of Christ. We are the body. We represent him on earth. The Bible calls us Christ's ambassadors. So we want to be strong. We want to be healthy. We want to be vibrant for his sake, for the sake of the kingdom that the gospel would spread in power. So four things that should motivate us here. Let's look at them quickly. Um, 
we're going to give the Lord unity because he's given us encouragement. We're going to give the Lord unity because he's given us encouragement. Once again, is there any encouragement, and there is, from belonging to Christ? Uh, the word there for encouragement is paraclesis, and it, it means to come alongside, to walk together with. He walks with us through our struggles when we go through stuff. This is the footprints in the sand uh, poem and picture that you see uh, up in people's houses. Through our pain, he encourages us. So if you've ever been encouraged by the fact that you're not alone, that you don't have to go through things alone, if you've ever been encouraged by the fact that Jesus is right there with you, if you've ever been encouraged by the fact that he's as close as the mention of his name. I mean, when we get to that point and we say, Jesus, I need you. Jesus, I need you. What does he do? He shows up. He's there. He is an ever-present help in trouble. He loves us that much. And I mean, if he's there for you and me like that, then the least we can do is give him the unity that he has asked for in his church. That's what Paul is saying here. The second motivating factor for us is we're going to give the Lord unity because he comforts us with his love. He comforts us with his love. In other words, have you ever just felt how much God loves you? I hope you have. I mean, have you ever been in a time of worship and you just were overwhelmed with the love that God has for you? Or maybe you're, you're in a time of communion or you were alone in prayer and all of a sudden you just felt the love of God in such a powerful, supernatural and overwhelming way and you just felt he was there with you. If you've ever had that, Paul says, if you've ever had it, and you have, he said, man, he loves you so much. You know that, Paul is saying. Wouldn't you want to give him the one thing he would love to see in the church that he wants the church to be known for? And that is unity. He loves you more than you can imagine. Psalm 103, verse 11, for his unfailing love toward those who fear him is as great as the height of the heavens above the earth. There's no limit to God's love. And if he loves you that much, can we give him unity? Third thing, we're going to give the Lord unity because he's given us fellowship with his spirit. The word used here for fellowship, maybe you've heard it. If you've been around the church for a long time, uh, the word is koinonia. It's doing life together. It's constant interaction with each other. So what happened? Jesus said, I'm going to the Father. I'm going back to heaven. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. And you know what? The Holy Spirit comes. The Spirit draws us now to Christ. No man comes to the Father unless the Spirit draws him, Jesus said. And when we make a faith decision and we invite Jesus to be the Lord of our lives, then something supernatural happens. 1 Corinthians 6.19 describes this moment. It says, don't you realize that your body is the temple of of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God. So when we make that faith decision to, to follow Jesus, to make him the Lord of our lives, P Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 6 that the Holy Spirit lives inside us. That's fellowship right there. He lives in you. Not only that, but he empowers you. Uh, Acts 1 tells us you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. The Holy Spirit is at work in you. He's doing life with you. And if you've experienced that at all, and you have, 
If you're a believer, you have, then the least you should do is grow and protect the unity of the church. Because you know what? If, if we are causing disunity or we are causing division, we are putting a, a roadblock to the fellowship that the Bible talks about. And we're grieving the Holy Spirit if there is disunity. So we need to give that to him. Final motivation, we're going to give the Lord unity because he has given us new hearts. Tenderness and compassion, not what we're used to experiencing in our hearts. That's not normal uh, for human beings to experience in our attitudes, in how we respond to another. But in Christ, we have a completely different outlook. We have a completely different possibility. The Holy Spirit lives in us. And the fruit of the Holy Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, those things now become the norm for us. That's the new normal for those who are in Christ. Ezekiel 36, 26 describes it this way. It says, and I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit in you and I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and I will give you a tender, responsive heart. And if God has transformed your heart the way you are, the way you feel, the way you respond to the world and to the people around you, and he has, Paul is saying, listen, since you've experienced that, then the least you can do is say, God, I'm going to do everything I can to bring unity to the body of Christ. This is what Paul is writing to the Philippian church. This is what he's starting out in saying to them. And, and Paul is addressing things that could be problematic that there could be pockets of disunity, and Paul is addressing that. Now, that can either be corrective, because there is disunity there, or it can be preventative. You know, as we read it as a church today, I don't believe this is, this is uh, universally corrective. I don't believe that we have this mass dysfunction of disunity in trilogy, but I believe this is preventative. This is, this is Paul writing to the church so that churches down the road even can read this and we can read this today and we can look at this and say, God, how do you want us to live? And we can see this and by putting these measures in place and by beginning to live this out, we don't have to go down that road of being corrected. We don't have to get sick. And so Paul is writing to us, giving us the motivation to live and contribute towards unity. So the question is, how do we do it? We've been given the motive. Jesus has done all these things for us. So if he's done all that, and he has, we want to give him unity. How do we do that? Five things I want to go over today. There's a lot of things we can do to contribute to unity. This is not an exhaustive list by any stretch. But let me just give you five that Paul in Philippians chapter 2, verses 2 through 4, says these things contribute to unity and you should practice them. Okay, so here we go. Philippians 1, or uh, number 1 in Philippians 2, 2a, then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other. Make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other. And, and he says, make me truly happy. This is a big deal to Paul, okay? This is a big deal to Paul. I'm going to tell you how big a deal unity is to Paul. Outside of salvation... And Paul talks a lot about our relationship to God through Jesus Christ. But outside of salvation, he talks about unity more than he does anything else in his writings. This is topic number two on the frequency list of Paul's writings. He mentions it in 1 Corinthians. He mentions it in 2 Corinthians. He mentions it in Romans. 
He mentions it in Galatians. He mentions it in Ephesians. He mentions it in Colossians. He mentions it in 1 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians. I mean, unity is a massive, massive thing to the Apostle Paul. And obviously he mentions it here in Philippians. Because if you don't have unity, you don't have anything. It is pivotal for a church to have unity. If Trilogy Church does not have unity, we are finished. And I have a responsibility as a leader to do everything I can to contribute to the unity of the church, but not just me. Every single person who's a part of our church has a responsibility before God to contribute to the unity of the church, to ask, how can I build up? How can I draw people together in loving Christ and glorifying Jesus and strengthening one another? So what is number one? Number one is this, agree with one another. Agree with one another. Okay, he wrote, make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with one another. And when we're talking about agreement, we're not talking about doctrinal unity here. Okay, although that would be assumed that we're going to believe the same things. Because I think we all understand, you can have people who would all sign the same doctrinal statement, yep, I believe that, but they can't stand one another. Okay, you can, you can believe the same thing as somebody else and still not be in agreement. Um, you can deal with heresy real fast, that's easy. That's not in the Bible, that's wrong. Okay, yeah, that's easy, that's not hard. It's a lot harder to deal with attitude. Instead, we're talking about where everybody is headed in the same direction where everybody is thinking alike. And I'm not talking like a cult. I'm not talking about everybody being robots, blind obedience type of thing. I'm talking about people saying, I'm embracing the same things that this person and this person are embracing. I'm embracing the word of God, yes, but I'm also embracing the direction that our church is going, that I believe in that. Every church has a unique purpose on it. God is calling that church. We're all here to glorify Jesus and make him known in the world around us. That's kind of a universal mandate to the church. Uh, but different churches have different styles, different flavors, different ways of doing that. Different ways of reaching our communities with God's love. And what you want to do is you want to find a church where you can go to it and be in agreement. And I would pray that that's Trilogy. But I'm not naive enough to think that we're the only church in the 380 quarter that's a great church, because we're not. There's tons of great churches uh, that God calls them to do what it is that they do in their context. Within the body of Christ, there is a variety. I mean, you can't look at the world without coming to the conclusion that God loves variety. I mean, how many species of butterfly are there? How many different types of ants are there? I mean, God is a God of variety. So I don't think God is troubled by different styles of churches. I just don't think he is. I think God is a God of variety. There's not one way to do things. He's shown himself to different people in different ways. And so praise God for the different churches who do things to accomplish the same mission in different ways. As long as they're preaching the gospel and they're leading people towards Jesus, we've all got room to do things in different ways. That doesn't bother him and it shouldn't bother you. Just remember that we're all on the same team. We just wear different jerseys. Uh, I don't want to be a part of a church that's competing with anybody else. Uh, a church that compares ourselves to anybody else. That's not who we are. We pray for other churches. We bless other churches. We partner with other churches. But we never, ever compete with other churches. It's not the attitude that we need to have. So let me say this to you. 
you do not want to go to a church, this or Trilogy or any other church, where you say, well, you know, I like this one part of the church and that's why I'm here, but I don't really like anything else. If that's where you're at, you're in the wrong church. Uh, you need to find a church where you say, you know, for the most part, I'm in. I love it. You say, well, but what about that part that I don't like? <laughs> you know what? We all understand this in other areas of life, okay? That if you were to tell me, I have the perfect marriage. Here's what I would understand by that statement. Most things you really like. But you've learned to overlook a few things. If we're really honest, not let it get to you. Most of it is awesome. But there's a few things that maybe you're not ever going to be able to change about them and it's worth it just to be with them. Now, Melissa could tell you plenty of areas about me that don't thrill her all the time. But she loves me and she's called to be with me so she can deal with those few things. And I could tell you about Melissa that I have found the only perfect woman on planet Earth and wouldn't change a single thing about her. But listen, that's how life is. Life is lumpy. This ain't heaven. This is Earth. It's filled with sinners. And so, you know, we're all redeemed sinners. We're doing the best that we can. We are broken people who God has put back together and we still have moments of self that rise to the surface. So we're doing the best we can. That doesn't mean we don't have reason to try to do better. I'm just saying you are never going to find a perfect church filled with perfect people. So what you're looking for is something that you say, by and large, I'm in on the majority and I can overlook the things that maybe aren't my cup of tea and pray for them and love them and be in agreement. That's what we're called to. Agreement. That's what it means to be in agreement. Second thing, Philippians 2.2, then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another. So number two is to love one another. I mean, it sounds pretty simple, right? I mean, that's, we get that, just love one another. But then we're reminded that we go to church with some pretty unlovable people. How do I know this? Because I'm one of those, especially in the morning before I get my coffee. The only way we can love people the way God wants us to love people is if we have God's love in us. Because how does God love us? 1 John 4, 19. We love because he first loved us. Okay, the second thing is Romans 5, 8. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. So God loves first and God loves sacrificially. He loves without a return on his love, without condition. So when we learn to love people like Jesus, like the Father, like the Spirit love us, when we have that same love, we're going to have unity because we will all have sacrificial, love first, without agenda kind of love for one another. That's what we're called to have. A pastor friend of mine describes love this way. Love is the accurate estimate and the adequate supply of another's need. Let me read that again for you. Love is the accurate estimate and the adequate supply of another's need. So example for God's love for us. God accurately estimated that we are sinners. He adequately supplied our need by sending Jesus. So when we love like he loves, we look around, we see needs, and we meet those needs. We love people, we forgive, we like people. We like people. 
when you love like God loves you. When somebody says to me, well, you know, I love him, but I just don't like him. That's not God. That's not God's love. Can you imagine if God said, well, I love you, but I sure don't like you. Nobody wants to hear that. That's just not right. What you need to do is you need to start praying that God will help you to love them. Just start praying. And then let me tell you what you do. Once you started praying for them, you do what God does. God, even though we do things that are displeasing to him, he loves us. And how does God reach us, even though we're disobedient, even though we're, we're messed up? Romans 2.4, listen to this. Don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? So God keeps doing good things for us. God keeps showing us. He keeps being good to us because he is good and he does good. So here's what you do. You're praying for somebody because you're struggling in your heart about them or connecting with them or relating to them or liking them. Start praying for them and then start investing in them. That person you're not sure you like because you're not sure they like you. A lot of times that's what it is anyway. It's just miscommunication or misunderstanding. That person you think doesn't care because they never reach out to you or they walked past you one day without saying hello to you. We can get pretty easily offended, can't we? I mean, we're human. That's what we do. And so what you do is you do something for them. You invest in them. Give them a gift. Serve them in love. But what if I give something to them and they still don't like me? Then do it again. You say, but what, what if I serve them now a second time and they still don't like me? Do it three times. You say, what if it's for four? You, you see where I'm going with this. Just keep doing it. And pretty soon, I promise you, you keep doing nice things to them, there's going to be a change in that relationship. Because it's human nature to like people who like us. It's natural. And you can't invest in somebody and pray for somebody without God instantly giving you a heart for them. You cannot invest in somebody and pray for somebody without giving you a heart towards them. It's true. God will change your heart. Try it. Begin to invest in people that you have trouble loving and watch the way God gives you a heart of love for them. Pray, love one another. Third thing is to work together. Work together as a church family. Philippians 2.2. Make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and purpose. Work together with one mind and one purpose. Another way of saying this is to pull on the same rope. In other words, we're all together. We're all headed in the same direction. It's kind of like the upper room on the day of Pentecost after Jesus ascended into heaven. He says, wait here in Jerusalem, pray and wait for the Holy Spirit to come. And they were all together in the upper room, and Scripture des describes it as they were all in one accord, one mind, one purpose. They have the same spiritual passion. That's the idea here. We're passionate about the same things. We care about the same things. We're headed in the same direction. So when you go to a church, you find out what's important to the church. Obviously, make sure that doctrinally, that they're solid and they're teaching the word of God and they care about lost people, okay? So find out what's important to the church beyond that. What does the church talk about? What does the church care about? What is the church doing? And then you decide, am I in? 
Because if you're in, that's your place. If you're out, then you need to keep looking. So at Trilogy, if you were to say, what are you passionate about? What motivates you? I can, I can sum it up in four, four things. Number one, we are passionate about new stories. New stories. Reaching lost people. Seeing people come to faith in Jesus. We are passionate about people growing in their relationship with God. To see God do new things in your life. That it's not just a one and done. It's not just, okay, I went through the checkout. I got salvation and now I can just head to my car. No, there's more to do. There's more to grow. It's a lifelong process of becoming more like Jesus and allowing him to use you to reach a world that desperately needs to know him. And so these new stories that God is using us in new ways, that God is doing new things through our church. Ask people to make decisions. That's important to us, that we allow people that opportunity to make a decision to follow Jesus. So new stories are important to us. Another thing that's important to us is strong families. Strong families. We believe so much in the family, uh, that God created the family, and God uses the family. We, that's why we, we want to reach all ages. We want a church that is generationally diverse, and we have that. Uh, we want to invest in marriages and see God strengthen marriages that are good and make them better, to see God repair marriages that are broken and need help. Uh, that's why we, we, we have a, a group called Reengage that you can go through that it just takes your marriage to another level. No matter how good your marriage is, Reengage can accelerate it and just make it even better and more biblically strengthened. And it's a fa fantastic, fantastic opportunity for you to go through if you've never done that before. Um, that's why we prioritize age-based ministries. We have such a strong kids ministry and student ministry. And Pastor Jordan does a phenomenal job giving leadership to our age-based ministries. Uh, we believe in strong families and partnering with parents to invest in that next generation of kingdom leaders, and, and we prioritize the family. Another thing that we are passionate about is healthy relationships. We believe we are better together. I mean, that's the whole point of today's message as I talk about unity, uh, that we, we believe we are better together. Our neighborhood groups, where we come together on a weekly basis with a pocket of people and families from our church, and we eat together, and we, we talk about the message from the previous Sunday, and we grow together, and we serve one another, and we help one another, bring correction into one another's lives. Healthy relationships are just so important to us, and we want to prioritize that. And then we, we are a church who wants to have maintain an outward focus doing things to bless our community, that we're not just focused inside uh, our circle and just helping one another, although that's a priority. The Bible uh, says we need to take care of one another's needs, but we don't want to stop there. We want to invest in the people of our community all the way up and down the 380 corridor. We want to make a difference in people's lives. We want to serve our, our townships and our, and our cities that are around us. We want to do things to bless our community. Uh, since COVID hit and uh, quarantine started and everything started happening. People started losing their jobs. We've done four different food distributions since COVID hit and given people bags of groceries and, and blessing them and asking how we can pray with them. And we've had great times of prayer with them. It's been an amazing, amazing opportunity uh, to touch people's lives where they're at, meet them at their point of need. And I, I believe at the same time, it's helping us maintain an outward focus and make a difference in people's lives as God transforms us in the process. 
helping fa uh, another way we do that, uh, that outward focus is helping families who are helping families through foster and adoption. We've got families in our church and families that are connected to our church who are uh, foster parents and adoptive parents. And when they get new placements, we resource them with, with clothes and strollers and car seats and all the different things that they're going to need. Uh, we, we help people get trained if they want to be certified to be in the foster system or through safe families. And that is a priority for us to maintain that outward focus in the community. And that's also part of our, our strong families uh, value. So all of these things, and it really, the reason we're passionate about all these things uh, can be found in Acts 29, 11. The story of what happened spread quickly and the name of the Lord Jesus was greatly honored. We want Jesus to be glorified through our church in every one of these areas. That that's the reason they would be there is to make a difference in people's lives. That's what we're about. And when you come to church, you need to be about what your church is about. Don't make it about you. That's a fundamental problem in the American church is that too many people go to church and make it about them. How did I feel? Did I like the message? Did they sing the songs I like in the style I like in the key that works for my voice? Uh, did the right people say hello to me? Uh, all the different things that we want to get out of a church service, we come in with that in mind. Guys, make it about Jesus. Make it about others. Then God will bless you. Then you'll have joy and will be one mind and one purpose. Number four, humility. Practice humility. Now we talked a ton about humility last week, okay? It was the focus of the entire message last week. We talked about humility. So if you weren't able to watch that message yet, I really encourage you to go online at trilogy.church and make sure to hit that message from last week and listen to that message on humility. It's such an important topic. If we're going to live like Jesus lived, he typified humility always. And if we want to represent him well to the world around us, humility needs to be a part of who we are. But it's also an important topic if we're going to protect and grow unity in the body of Christ. Philippians 2.3 says, Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. So, Thinking of others as better than you. Okay, how do I do that? What does that mean? Let me give you a great way to do that. Super practical when you understand scriptural principles. Who is the biggest sinner that you know? Please don't point at your spouse. The biggest sinner is you, right? I mean, by personal observation, you're the biggest sinner you know. You're more intimately aware and connected to your sin than anyone else's in the world. Whose sin do you regularly, regularly observe? Yours. You are the biggest sinner there is in your own personal worldview. So here's something that's interesting. Paul, this great Christian, leader of the early church, one of the most prolific church planters the world has ever known, he writes this in 1 Timothy 1.15. This is a trustworthy saying and everyone should accept it. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I am the worst of them all. The King James Version translated it as the chiefest of sinners am I, but Christ died for me. And I thought to myself when I read that, wait, hold on a second here. I mean, really? Paul? You're the worst sinner? And it's true. The worst sinner that Paul knows by personal observation is himself. But I thought maybe the Holy Spirit would say, time out, Paul. You're having a bad day. 
throw away that parchment, give yourself a break, let's get a new one, let's start over. But no, the Holy Spirit let it stand because it's true. He's the worst sinner he knows. And if you would view yourself as the worst sinner you know, then that means you're going to treat everybody else as being better than you. But if you think you're better than them, you say, I certainly know some people whose sin is worse than mine. No, you don't. <laughs> and that's a way to walk in humility, is to keep that mindset that Paul demonstrated here, is I am the worst sinner I know. And it's only by God's grace that I've been forgiven. It's only been by God's grace that I've been put back together. It's only by his mercy that I have the opportunity to be part of his family. That's a way to walk in humility. And don't stop with we're sinners, but keep going. Christ died for me. Christ rescued me. Jesus loved me. Jesus helped me. And if he helped me, he'd want to help everybody else that I'd ever meet. But there's nobody worse than I was and still would be that way without the intervention of Christ in me. When we think of ourselves that way, the biblical way, it's easy to live out this principle of humbly thinking of others before ourselves. And it protects and it grows unity in the church. And selfishness, making it all about you, will destroy unity faster than just about anything else will. Guard yourself against selfishness. Pray against that. Ask the Holy Spirit to break that in your life if that's something that you struggle with. And finally, number five, care for others. Care for other people. Philippians 2.4, don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. Now, it's important we don't misread this. Paul says we need to take care of things in our own lives and families. Okay? Take an interest in others too. In other words, you do need to take care of yourself. Paul says that the person who doesn't provide for his family is worse than an infidel. He's worse than an unbeliever. So we have a responsibility to our family. So here's what Paul is saying to us. Work hard, pay your bills, take care of your family, and then take an interest in the needs you see in the lives of people around you. A lot of times people can excuse themselves from doing things, whether it's ministry-wise or things that would grow the church, because they're only thinking of themselves. And let me give you an example and probably the easiest one. I mentioned neighborhood groups earlier. Are you in a neighborhood group? No. Well, why not? Why aren't you part of a neighborhood group? Well, you know, I don't really think I need it. I mean, it's just not my thing. I don't really get into that. Well, that's because you're only looking to your own interest, okay? Don't look only to your own interest, but also to the interests of others. You're not looking, you're not thinking about other people. You're not thinking about what they might need, how you could serve them, how you could make a difference in their lives. You're not thinking about what you might say or do that could change their life and influence their story. I have been hugely impacted by the groups I've been part of over the years. I get encouraged, I get challenged, I get motivated just about every time that we get together. Our neighborhood groups are not just about eating a meal and answering some questions about the Bible. It's about caring for one another. It's about, it's really, it's the most effective place for people to see the need in your life and reach out to help meet that need is in the context of our neighborhood groups. It's also the best place for you to know about the needs in the lives of people in your church family and be able to meet needs in their lives. You are here to make a difference and the best place for you to make a personal impact on someone is in the context of relationship in a neighborhood group. 
our group just started back up. We had taken a break and we just started back up and I know some others are as well. And if you're part of an existing neighborhood group, ask your neighborhood group leader when and where and make it a priority. Go there. Don't miss. I mean, I understand things come up, but make that the regular. Not you come every once in a while, but you go and just on the rare occasion that there's something you can't avoid, you might have to miss. If you've never been part of a neighborhood group here or it stopped being a priority for you and you don't really have one that you're connected with, please let me know and I will help find the right group for you. I will help you get connected. You need it and more importantly, they need you. It's part of the church being there for one another. Care for others here in your church family. We have this tendency to believe that what we do doesn't make that big of a difference. We can fall into that trap. Life is made of little things. An ocean is made of little tiny molecules of water. Your body is made up of tiny atoms. Life's made up of little things. And if you take care of the little things, the big things will take care of themselves. Here's the thing, church. What you do matters. You matter to Trilogy. You matter to God. You matter to me. You are a difference maker in our church. And we need you to step up and be the difference that God has brought you here to make. Don't ever think what you have to offer is insignificant and don't wait for someone to come ask you to make a difference in their life. No one's gonna do that. Let me just give you a hint here. No one is gonna come up to you and say, would you mind investing in me personally and making a difference in, their, in my life? Now, there may be a one in a million shot where somebody's gonna do that, but you need to be praying and looking for opportunities and just start making a difference in people's lives, investing in them, meeting needs, being a friend to them. Make a difference. And don't ever think what you have to offer is insignificant because that is just not true. That's the devil telling you that because you're a part of the body of Christ and what you do and what you say, it matters. Agree with one another, love one another, work together, moving in the same direction, practice humility and care for others. Now, are we gonna live this way all the time? No, we're human, we're going to blow it. I've blown it, so have you. But this is why we need, this is what we need to be known for, okay? This is what trilogy should be characterized by. Oh man, they love each other for real at that church. They are there for one another. They serve together. They make a difference in one another's lives and in their community. They are the real deal. Not so that we can have a good reputation, not so people can praise Trilogy Church, but so that we can use that reputation to lead lost people to Jesus. To show them the family that God wants them to be part of. And as, as we've gone through this today, if there's something that has convicted you, if there's somebody you need to go to and ask forgiveness, do it. If there's somebody that you struggle with and you need to start praying for and investing in, do it. If you've pulled back because you're waiting for somebody to reach out to you, fix that. Start reaching out to somebody else. Get involved in a neighborhood group. Find a place to belong. Even in a church our size, and we're not a big church, even in our, a church that's our size, you need to find a pocket of community that you can connect to and be part of. Join a neighborhood group. Let me know how I can help you find one, and I will. But there's things we all need to do. Every one of us can take a step to grow and protect the unity that God has given us.
I pray for unity for Trilogy every single day. It's a regular part of my prayer life. Would you join me in praying for it? And just as important, living it out. Let's join together and let's change this world for Jesus. Would you bow your heads with me as we close in prayer today? And as we get ready to pray, you may be here and you may be part of that crowd that I mentioned earlier that you don't have that connection with Jesus. And I told you that's something that we are passionate about. We give people an opportunity to, to meet and follow Jesus. And I would love to pray with you today. So if you're here today and you say, man, I, I really want to make a decision to follow Jesus. I want to change the direction of my life and I need his help to do it. God has said that he will forgive you. He will change the direction of your life. The Holy Spirit will come in and make you a new person remove that, that heart of stone and give you a, a heart of flesh. Uh, he, will, he will change the direction of your life. You just need to ask him to do it. And so as we pray today, uh, if you would just reach out to God in prayer in, in your own way, and just ask God to, to change the direction of your life. And uh, we'll make that a part of our prayer time at the end here. And I just want to encourage you to pray that prayer and ask God to do that for you. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this time we've had together to talk about this absolutely mission-critical topic of unity. God, we want unity at Trilogy. We don't ever want to let go of that. We don't want to ever have anything get in the way of that. It is a gift from you. And God, we want to steward that gift. We want to protect that gift. We want to grow that gift and invest in that gift. And so Lord, help us uh, to foster unity at Trilogy. God, I pray for those who, who need relationship with you. They may be sitting there right now saying, God, I need you. And God, as they whisper a prayer in their hearts and they say, God, I need you. Would you forgive me? Come into my life and make me different. I want to follow you and I want to serve you. Thank you for loving me enough to send Jesus to die for my sins. As they pray and they ask you into their lives, God, would you transform them from the inside out? Holy Spirit, renew them right now. Just let your regenerative power transform their hearts and their minds right now. And God, let them become, as you said, a new creation in Christ Jesus. God, I thank you for those prayers that are being prayed right now. God, I pray for those that need to make things right with another believer because there's, there's disagreement or there's dislike, there's frustration, there's something broken in a relationship between uh, friends or a family or just different people at Trilogy. God, I pray that you would uh, speak to them right now and Holy Spirit, give them the boldness and the confidence to make that right and the humility to make that right, to go and apologize, to go and, and to fix things. And God, for those that maybe have a, a struggle in a relationship with someone, God, would, would you challenge us to pray for those that we struggle with? God, would you challenge us to, to be a blessing in their lives and to do things for them and to serve them? And God, I pray as, as we do all these different things that we talked about from Paul's writings today, God, let the unity and trilogy grow exponentially. That God, we are moving forward together into the future that you have prepared for us, into the, the new home that you are already preparing for us. That God, we can make a difference in our community at a level that we never even anticipated. And God, it's going to happen because of unity. Jesus, we thank you. And we just ask that you would continue to lead and guide your church and each one of us as a part of your body. We love you. Help us to do it this week. In Jesus' name we pray.